Hey, and welcome to the Rich Martin Podcast with me, Rich Martin. And if it's your first time or your hundredth time, the idea of this podcast is to get behind the scenes with people who are building local church, particularly in Europe. And this one today is with Pete Gregg, and we talk lots of different subjects, but really spend a lot of time on transition, and you're going to hear all about it. We love Pete. And he's been such an inspiration to my wife and I through the years, through his books and also through other things we've listened and heard from him. And so it was a total privilege to be able to speak to him. I enjoyed it. Hopefully you do. My aim of these is to get you behind the scenes and this is no exception. Pete lets us in behind the scenes of how he thinks about building local church. So enjoy. Okay, it's great. I'm here with Pete Gregg who many of you will know, some of you might not know him, but um, Pete Gregg is an amazing British pastor who has got a, a huge, huge array of accolades, uh, graceful accolades that have been given to him by God. He's an author, written several books. He set up the 24-7 prayer movement, which has got some absolutely crazy statistical data with it of millions of people that have been helped and reached with it and, and hundreds of uh, I think thousands of prayer rooms across the world um, and now is um, running a church, is the lead pastor with his wife in Guildford, the UK called Emmaus Road and there's a whole load of other things about Pete Gregg so thank you so much for being with us Pete today. Oh it's great to be with you, thanks Rich, thanks for having me. And so I've done a very, very brief intro. Could you kind of give your version of Pete Gregg um, uh, so that anyone listening could kind of get an idea? Well, in the words of Monty Python, I'm not, yeah, I'm not the Messiah. I'm just a very naughty boy, but, um, you know, I, 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 um, yeah, I, Sammy and I accidentally started a prayer movement. Um, but actually, no, because of why I think we're going this conversation, let me say, I started out, you know, when I decided what I wanted to follow Jesus, that really happened working with a lady called Jackie Pullinger in Hong Kong amongst heroin addicts. I rediscovered my faith. Um, and then the Lord spoke to me and called me firstly to the UK, which was strange because I was living in Hong Kong at the time. Right. And secondly to the church. And that was strange because, um, at that time, everyone knew wanted to be a, like a footballer or a rock star. Like it wasn't cool to want to work for a church, right? I just knew I was called to church. And so Sammy and I started out church planting, um, way back, like to 1994, something like that. And, um, we planted a bunch of churches. Some have worked, one failed. Um, and so we're church planters. Right. Uh, and, and in my heart, it's all about making a measurable difference amongst the poor and the lost. Hmm. But then somewhere along the lines, I got spiritually hungry, realized the key to everything is prayer. Hmm. Got worried because the programs we were setting up were working and it occurred to me that God could die and we wouldn't notice. <laughs> wow. Um, and so we started praying, not trying to launch a movement. We were just literally a, a church that was bad at prayer, trying to learn how to pray. Mm. And then that prayer room back then we would have said went viral. You can't really say that anymore, but went viral, started spreading. And now 24 seven prayer is in, well, 
yeah, about two thirds of the nations on earth. And we're working with everyone from the Catholics at the highest levels to the Salvation Army. And there's been, I mean, it's just a crazy story. There's been, you know, Channel 4 made a documentary about us. Rolling Stone commissioned a 4,000 feature article about us. Just weird stuff. Mm. And no one's, no one could be more surprised than me. I mean, the whole thing was never a plan. So we're now, what are we, 21 years in, praying nonstop, mm. but we're still church planters, you know, in, in, we actually, we, the church in Guildford, we planted a Woking. We just literally two weeks ago started a new church in Aldershot. So we're still doing that thing. So that's us. We married obviously with two boys, Hudson and Danny, who are now young men. Mm. We're out paddle boarding right now as I speak to you. And, um, and Sammy and I are just about going to sabbatical because wow. the first one in 25 years oh. we've met. So we, 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 we've been going it pretty hard for more than a quarter of a century and we, we're tired, but also we feel like, um, this is transitional time for us because, you know, the kids have left home and all that stuff so amazing amazing let me jump into one of the bit of the journey then how did you go from running 24 7 prayer huge impact just you know still growing and having huge impact how did you go from that to hey sammy we're going to plant a church in guildford well um we, funny enough we didn't plant the church in guildford i tell you what happened was um sammy and i had been in america for a year um, setting up 24 seven USA. And, um, when we moved back to the UK, we moved back to Chichester, which is where we had been church planning before with a family of churches called Revelation Church down there, uh, which again, it's a brilliant story. A, a young heavy metal headbanger called Roger Ellis got saved. There was a revival. He led loads of his friends down there to Jesus. They ended up starting a church because they were kicked out of the local Anglican church. So they just, it was before people really talked about church planning, but they just had, they had no option. They just, wow. they, they just started gathering to worship and, um, and that grew into Revelation Church. Roger mentored me. We planted uh, a couple of congregations for them. Right. And out of that 24 seven came. Then we did the American thing along the way. My wife nearly died on a number of occasions. And so we were processing chronic illness. We came back from America and, um, with great sadness, realized it was time to move on through, through, you know, Chichester, Bognor, Portsmouth, Brown there. We, all we'd really had modeled to us was people who left churches because they'd fallen out. Right. <laughs> we, we didn't really know how to leave well. It was just the Lord was calling us on. Um, but it was a beautiful experience mm. and, and we're all still friends and Rog, yeah. Rog actually works with 24-7 now, you know, so like the guy who mentored me is now works alongside, you know, so we don't tell this story enough, by the way, and no, this is a European story that you don't have to screw it up. Like, right. <laughs> like you can run the distance, you can live beautifully and faithfully right to the end. Relationships don't have to go wrong. The greatest success we've had in 
you know, 21 years, 27 pro without any doubt is we're all still friends, right? Like genuinely, like we, 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 like one of the founding guys just phoned me just before this, just for a chat. We're still friends. Wow. So, um, anyway, Lewis calling song. We didn't really know where we were supposed to be, but we knew wherever we went next after Chichester would need to be like a resource hub for 24 seven. I'm a local church guy. I believe that, um, you have to model somewhere what you're talking about everywhere else. Otherwise it's just hot air, you know? Mm. And yeah, there's a reason why Jesus came from heaven, didn't just send an email. <laughs> you have to be rooted. So we had all the, we had our list. We had all these really cool ideas of, you know, we were offered a church in London. We wondered about buying a farm in Scotland. Lovely. We eyed up Brighton for a while because it's just a great place. And bottom of our list was to this place, Guildford, uh-huh. a number of reasons. But one of them was that at, we already had a 24 7 missions office there. Another was it's close to where we both grew up. And another was um, that there was a small 24 7 community already there. And I didn't want to lead anything. I wanted to be part of something mm. and not be the leader. And so we moved to Gil, God spoke. It was a cool story. I've written about it in Dirty Glory, a book I wrote called Dirty Glory. So, but the Lord spoke very supernaturally to tell us to move to Guildford. Mm. I complained. The Lord said to me, I can send you to Baghdad if I want to. <laughs> um, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll do Guildford. <laughs> and then, um, and then like uh, we had an awful, well, wonderful, but awful, I don't know what it was, two or three years of being part of a very small little church community there in, in, in Guildford of 30 people or something, 20, 30 people, um, led by my dear friend Ian Nicholson. Um, I, and it's awful because I just spent the whole time biting my tongue and sitting on my hands, trying not to lead it. And eventually, um, I was a very good boy. You know, I didn't, right. I, Part of it. And I was director of prayer at HTB at this point and you know, all that. And so I had other stuff I could get on with as well as 24 seven. But eventually Ian said to me, Pete, I need you to take, would you lead this? Cause I, Ian is like a peacemaker diplomat, just great, great, great right. guy. He's, he's knows himself well enough to know he's not the guy he's, his foot's never near the accelerator. It's nearer the brake. Okay. You know? So he's like, this thing needs to grow. I'm not the guy to do it. You take it on. I asked Sammy what she thought. She said, do us all a favor. We're sick and tired of you, like sitting on your hands and buying your tongue. So I took it on and it was really tough, Rich. Like we, um, I thought I'd lost my mojo. Okay. Because I did everything I knew to do and I, and it was tiny, like 20, 30 people and none of it was working. Um, I remember like one of the other leaders, like every single time we met his, he would clear his throat before he prayed and you say, God, give us the lost. Cause we just didn't have any. <laughs> and then, um, there was a particular moment where it was like the weather changed or the pH in the soil changed and suddenly. Mm. At last, everything started to grow. People getting saved. The guy stopped praying, give us the loss because 
that came. <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 and sudden, and we started to grow quite dramatically and, you know, we're 1200 people and three congregations and or four, or are we three, uh, one, two, three, and the online four, I think. So, and, and, you know, and we're now able to be a resource to 24 seven, which was part of the original vision. And we're, tr- and we're trying to model 24 seven, you know, we have three prayer meetings a day, um, well attended, like, I mean, it's just, you know, we're in the process of helping establish a monastery. So, um, it's taken a while to get there. And the funny thing is that people, people now say to me, you're doing a good job, but honestly, this is easy. It was a really hard job for all those years where I was doing everything I could do and it wasn't working. That's when I really did mm. well, but no one told me that then. Mm. Like, cause there was no, there was no, <laughs> there was nothing to see for it. Right. So, um, I, I just want to say anyone listening to this, if you're half kidding yourself, seeking to serve the Lord, trying to change the culture, it's a very hard thing to do in a church. Um, you know, hear, hear the well done of God mm. because because you're earning your spurs and, and, and seasons change, just keep being faithful. Can I ask, uh, listen through the story or the journey that we've just had now that you've taught is transition. It's everywhere in your life. You've transitioned from moving on from friends and family down Portsmouth way, transitioning 24 yeah. seven prayer, transitioning from, uh, uh, this great steady Eddie pastor, sorry, I forget his name to, to yourself. Um, uh, this transition that you're talking about now that you're about to move into with your boys moving home, what, what are your learns? What are your thoughts around that? How, how do you do transition? Well, how do we, what have you taken from I mean, major transitions that we've just jumped through there? Yeah. And it's this great question. And you know, the first thing is the cliche is true. Look back on your life. I, I challenge anyone listening to this, watching this, look back on your life and look at the risks you took. Um, you know, the godly risks, I don't mean like the sinful ones. And you will see that almost without exception, you don't regret it. Hmm. I mean, Sammy and I have one major risk that we took that we kind of regret because it was very painful and not, and, and, and a bit of a failure, but even that we're still glad it happened. So we, we realized a number of years ago, hang on, um, you know, push into the insecurity. Um, mm, and, and, you know, John three, Jesus says, those who are born of the spirit are unpredictable like the wind. So mm. one of the fruits of the spirit is, is impetuosity. Another one is, is vision. They've had a primary gift of the Holy spirit, according to Joel quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost is a release of dreams and visions, which is weird because most charismatic Pentecostal churches are the least imaginative, most predictable people I've ever met. It shouldn't be that way. The primary fruit of the spirit isn't falling over speaking tongues. It's release dream and vision. So entrepreneurial gifts, innovation, creativity, the arts and pioneering. So that leads to the next point, which is we've always been highly intentional about transition. Don't wait for transition to happen to you, push into it. Mm. Um, and my philosophy has always been, it's better to leave before people want you to leave. Cause then they think you're fabulous and they'll cry <laughs> than to wait until 
they're fed up with you and your cork in the bottle, mm. which will happen. Mm. Well, one leadership book says, they call it the founder's syndrome. Is it, It's when you get to the stage where, you know, the founder of something circle, it's like a seagull, you circle overhead and occasionally you just drop poo on people. <laughs> you don't want to be that. You don't want to be that. So, um, so yeah, push into transition. So, you know, the, 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 the most, uh, I, 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 this is very real for me right now, Rich, because it was about three or four years ago. Um, the Lord spoke to me and gave me a picture of like an orchard, but the trees were all coming to fruit at different times. Some were clearly ready to be harvested. Some were, but weren't even ripe yet. And I just sensed the Lord saying, it's time to start passing things on. Wow. Um, but I was aware that I do have different trees as it were in the orchard. So there's 24 seven prayer. That's one big old organization. Now there's the local church, St. Mayor's Road. Um, there's a religious order, the order of the mustard seed, which I helped to relaunch, which I was leading at the time. Um, there's other stuff like my, you know, book writing and speaking. And so there's just a whole bunch of stuff. And as I looked at all these different things, I realized 24 seven prayer is actually almost right. Just to be picked. It's, it's right for transition. And, and the next one I knew. Uh, sorry, no, I'm, I get that wrong. The first thing was the religious order, the order of the mustard seed. And I actually knew exactly who should, I should pass that on to. Um, it took a while. She now, Jill Weber now leads the order of the mustard seed. She's unbelievable. And the thing has just gone from strength to strength. It's grown phenomenally. And I have no formal role in the order of the mustard seed. I'm a member. I do have authority. I'm, I'd be kidding myself and everyone else if I said, like, I'm nobody. If I say something, because they'll listen. So that's really important to acknowledge because otherwise you don't steward that well. Right. You, you abuse it, you manipulate people, right? Hmm. So I do have strength. I'm not in any denial about that, but I have authority, but I have no power. I literally cannot make anything happen. I have no structure role. Um, and let, let me pause there because this is important. You must do Romans 12, one on your ego. Actually, this is just discipleship. This just isn't, isn't just leadership. This is discipleship. You have to continually die to yourself. Mm. And remember, this isn't about me. Mm. If your gospel is basically one of self-actualization, mm. And therefore your ministry becomes an extension of your own ego. I get money. I get profile. I get applause. You're never going to let go and you're going to create something toxic mm. to your own family and to those you're leading. Eventually mm. you have to keep going with God and saying one day I'll be a farting old man. You will barely remember my own name <laughs> and then I'll toddle off and be with you forever. Mm. And no one will be that impressed. So, you know, help me to hold the things you give lightly and to remember it's your flock, not mine. If you don't do that, if you don't resolve that ego issue, everything else I say is irrelevant because you just won't do it. 
Wow. You find a reason, you'll find a prophecy, you'll find some reason never to let go, never to relinquish, because your fundamental identity mm. is rooted in your ministry. Right. The day you swap names with your ministry, you're in deep trouble. Hmm. After the Ravi Zacharias thing, you know, someone said to me, everyone was sort of, you know, talking rightly about narcissistic leadership and talking about, you know, and, and all the other scandals. Yeah. All that, all yeah. that. And they're, they're all asking those questions. By the way, almost all of them are in America. That's so right. I just need to pause and register that because I don't believe that's insignificant. Mm. Um, but, you know, everyone was saying, well, how do we make sure that, you know, we don't behave like that, which is fine. And, but someone just said to me, Pete, maybe step one is don't name your ministry after yourself. Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Maybe that was actually step one. Like, you went for everything else. So do Romans 12 one on your ego. Wow. So I passed on the order of mustard seed. Then I knew the next one was 24 seven. And, um, we went into a full Ignatian discernment process to work out who should be the CEO effectively, the, the international team leader of 24 seven prayer, because what I realized was, um, I. The trouble is I'm not bad enough at leading an organization for them to sack me. Okay. But I wasn't great at it. If I was bad, they'd just have sacked me. But, you know, I helped found this thing. So like, but actually that's not what, that's not what I wanted to do. Okay. Um, and then I had to work out and I did this with those who love me and know me. I. Like, what is my unique contribution? What's mm. the thing I'm supposed to do? And it's to do with mentoring leaders. It's to do with setting high level vision. Um, it's, it's all that, but it's not fundraising, uh, running conferences, um, staff protocols, recruitment, like, you know, yeah, yeah. running offices. It's just that. Yeah. So we thought we knew the guy who was meant to take that role on. And then as we went into our discernment process, it was fascinating. We found out we were wrong. The wow. Lord showed not, it's not him. That person still doesn't know that we thought it was him. <laughs> and then the Lord very, very clearly showed us it's meant to be this guy, Mike Andrea, who leads a brilliant church in Margate planet around there called Glogen. He's a Greek Cypriot, um, ex criminal, <laughs> uh, loves Jesus. Blue collar hero, brilliant guy, man of prayer, wow. good friend. And, um, dad owned a fish and chip shop. And he, he, um, I asked, I, we were high up in the Rockies and I said to Mike, and, and at this point I'd got a lot of our senior leaders. I knew the key ones and said, I'm thinking of asking Mike, what do you think? Cause I knew that if the team wasn't on board with this, right. No matter what I think. Mm -hmm. And they all said, we think this is great. So I asked Mike, we were sitting high up in the Rockies. I said, Mike, uh, how about it? He said, he'd pray about it. He went off on a holiday straight afterwards with his wife, uh, Stella. And, and he said, I got, he said to Stella, I got something to ask you. And she started crying. He said, don't worry. I've not had an affair. And she said, no, 
I know the Lord's already told me. Pete's asked you to be 24 seven. Wow. And she's, I'm, just, I'm just grieving it. I'm grieving it because I know what it's going to cost. I know, you know, and, and, um, anyway, he, he stepped into the role. We probably took 18 months over that process. So I want you to hear the intentionality of that. Um, and we prepared everyone. We leaked it to the people we needed to. We did the formal announcement together in Belfast two years ago. So can I, can I ask in your thinking doing this, did you, you know, do you, as the leader of Mustard Seed or the leader of 24 seven, are you then thinking, I know what I'm going to letting go, or are you letting go, not knowing like how planned are you in your next steps? You know, well, the first thing to say is I was actually careful what I didn't let go of. Okay. Um, for two reasons. The first is this, whilst we've all seen leaders who don't let go and they outstay their welcome, become a cork in the bottle. Everyone resents them. They become the seagulls circling above, right? There are even more or just as many leaders who, cause they don't do transition well, they just quit and they just completely abandon the thing that they've helped to start or led. And they orphan it mm. like by definition, if you lead before, if you leave before people want you to leave and you just totally disappear, that's not actually necessarily godly. That can be just you being massively selfish or massively kind of insecure. So me working out what is my ongoing contribution in 24 seven was me saying, guys, if you want me to just to kind of leave now, I will, and I'll go and find something else to do with my life. That's fine. But do you want me to stick around? Hmm. And that was a pretty insecure moment. Hmm. Um, and I wish they hadn't taken quite so long to go, but I, I, I expect an instant, no, but it's like, okay, <laughs> let's think about that. Yeah. But they all came back and said, we, we just love you. We love you and we want you to. So then that's the conversation. What's my own contribution? So I'm actually as probably as busy as ever with 24 seven, but it is setting high level vision, mentoring. Mike and I talk on the phone all the time. Um, we, we prioritize when it's not COVID sitting around fire pits, drinking whiskey together. That's like really important. Pastor Agu, who leads the redeemed Christian church of God in, in the UK, you know, they've got like, I can't remember hundreds of churches. When he heard I was planning to do this with Mike, he looked at me and said, you and Mike will have trouble because like the, the, the world understands how one person steps down, another person steps in, but not how do you have a founder and a CEO working together. And all I can tell, I went to Mike and said, oh, apparently Mike, we're going to have real trouble. We're going to, we're going to fight. So we sat down, we made a, a plan. It's on a bit of paper somewhere. I've never had to dig it out of what we do if we have a fight, but we haven't had a fight, mm -hmm. uh, it, so far in two and a half years. And yeah, so I'm, I'm actually pretty busy. I, I'm part of my role as content creation. So I just finished writing another book. You know, we do lecture 365, yeah, yeah. quite a lot to do actually. And then, um, you know, Mike has taken the organization, like our budgets have probably doubled, like right. since he took it on, our staff are all way happier. Like, <laughs> like everything, everything is better. Right. Um, so I, I'm kind of embarrassed about that really. And then I'd say the other personal thing, 
is I went and got some personal coaching before the transition. And I said to the coach, prepare me to be the face of a bunch of decisions with which I disagree. Cause inevitably, if you are giving away power, they won't always make the same decisions I would make. Mm. But if I'm not going to abandon the organization, I've got to have to be a face for stuff. Mm. It actually just happened yesterday. Sammy said there was a particular thing. And Sammy said to me, we've got to be a face for this, even though we, people don't know, we disagree with that. Mm. Wow. And this guy really helped me to, uh, I did a 360, you know, uh, uh, and so I've walked into my own personal kind of shadows quite intentionally wow. as part of the transition. I think I'm a pain in the ass sometimes still. Um, I need to get better at that. But I, I've been highly, highly, highly intentional about, um, you know, hopefully learning some new skills and, 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 and not just continuing in the same old way. Hmm. Um, and I've realized Tim Hughes had a prophecy for me recently. He said, you know, I see just with the arm around people, not speaking. It was actually really profound. I've, I found people aren't, aren't actually that interested in what we're doing right now. <laughs> My words, they're not, but, that, but maybe it's because I'm getting some gray hair, but people seem to really want me just to come and put my arm around them and say, you're okay. Wow. You're doing well, like good job. Wow. So. That's what those, those, I'm trying to learn to be a father, I think. And, and those are the new skills I'm trying to get better at. And we need a lot more fathers. There's a huge lack, you know, I look back at the churches I've grown up in and realized that there's a lack of fathers. There's a, there's lots of people who want to run a ministry or lots of people who will father you for a purpose <laughs> if you're useful to them, but they'll also very quickly move on to the next, if you're no use to them in their vision that they're fulfilling, yeah. but just have someone, you know, that great Pete, you're half great. So, but have someone who's a bit older, a bit wiser, um, is so needed. So, all right, let me talk just, just at the end, we've got to wrap this up Pete soon, but can, could I ask you about, um, I, mean, I could ask you about all sorts, but if I could just go with your thoughts on your Jackie Pullinger days, you know, reaching the poor in, in Hong Kong, you know, I, but, but, Bizarrely enough, I'm not, this is my brother's house at the moment. I'm in London, um, just for a few meetings and walking through London today, I'm like, oh, this it's overwhelmingly poor. The, the poverty is huge. It's everywhere. And then I look at the church and how we respond. And there I say, have we, and I'm not getting too controversial. I don't think, hope not. Have we moved the needle a little bit to sanitizing, reaching the poor? ticking the box, doing the one day a year, the big serve day. I don't want to belittle anything. Helping anyone's brilliant. Giving anyone a cup of water is amazing. But that kind of, are we boxing up, reaching the poor? How can we get better in Europe of just as a local church reaching poor people? Big question <laughs> in, in a few minutes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's vital for many reasons. Um, but, but whether you look at Isaiah 58, you know, your light will shine when, when you spend yourself above the poor and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Isaiah 61, the entire mission of Jesus is good news mm. to the poor. Um, Matthew 25, uh, you know, sheep and the goats, insofar as you've done it for one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. That's what gets you into heaven, by the way. 
Sermon on the Mount, I could go on. So, um, the first thing I want to say is actually, Rich, let's not beat ourselves up too much because, um, all the stats show that the church is the primary agency of social transformation throughout Europe. Amazing. Like, like I do notice because we talk, we, we believe in meekness and humility. One of the problems we got is with an arrogant media is the church is really quick to say, oh, we're nothing. We're nothing. We're purple. <laughs> and they go, yeah, you are. <laughs> but actually sometimes I think we just need to, you know, with it, you know, for example, the church, you know, the church educates more people mm. globally than any, any other organization, mm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, uh, you know, and I could break that down, you know, when you look at food banks, you look at, right. you know, cap and yeah. all of that. But if I can get to the heart of your question, I, I think the heart of it is, 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 you know, are we in danger of just running really great and important, necessary, effective programs for the sake of those on the margins, such as food banks and yeah, cat, yeah. but somehow not getting our hands dirty. And I think that is a really important question because of the incarnation, True. because it wasn't enough for God just to send prophets. He had to come and go through the unbelievable indignity of the womb, mm. birth, not being able to wipe his own bottom, not the word of, of, of God, not being able to speak, mm. you know, going through adolescence, you know, and, and then obviously risking his reputation in a way that very few, well, no pastors would hanging out with prostitutes. Um, but his reputation was quite important if you think about it. Mm. So I, I do think that as well as running great missions and programs to those in the margins, which must be that, and that and evangelism, that's the key. Um, well, that must be all about, let's make sure that we individually are still engaged mm. with those who are broken and on the margins that we're not just saying, well, cause I volunteer two hours a week at the food bank or because I help, I'm a church leader and I help run these worldly programs. Like, please let's us all stay personally engaged mm. with those on the margins. Um, because actually a program is a slightly dehumanizing thing. Mm. Um, so, so, so I, I think that is absolutely essential for us as, as followers of Jesus. I don't know how you can be a follower of Jesus if you are not hands-on engaged. And mm. you know, the thing that we say, we have 24 seven communities all around the world now. And the thing I say to every single one of them is it's this simple center, everything you do on God in prayer, mm. and then make a measurable difference amongst the poor and the lost. Mm. I'm going to say that again, cause it's so important. Yeah. You center everything on God in prayer and worship. That's the primary and the ultimate call on us all. But then what's your job? Your job is to make a measurable difference, like not just a theoretical one. I want to, I want to see numbers here. 
but this isn't numbers in church on a Sunday necessarily. Mm. I want to see a measurable difference amongst the poor. Mm. And I want to see a measurable difference amongst those who don't know Jesus. Are you baptizing people? You know, are, are you feeding the hungry? Mm. How much of your budget is going towards solo parents and so on? So, so center everything on God in prayer and make a measurable difference on support and loss. And you can be Lutheran, Catholic, yeah. Baptist, charismatic, whatever tradition you're in, those three principles apply. And if the church of Jesus Christ did that, if we committed ourselves to prayer, mission, and justice radically, I think we'd start to look a lot like Jesus and the world would wake up and go, this really is good news. Wow. Last question before you go, Pete, because that was, that was great. It was for me, this, um, what are you most excited about, about the church in Europe? Oh, well, I mean, you know, that thing about a crisis is, is a dangerous opportunity. You know, we are in, in the gravest, but potentially the most exciting moment in our history. The, the, the bad news is that, um, the body of Christ in Europe is bleeding young people. Yeah. It is really, really serious. Um, I, you know, we are, the Middle East is, 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 is going through this sort of genocidal moment where Christians are being expelled. So we just have to slightly pocket that. But if we take that out of the equation, Europe is the only continent on earth where the church is in decline. Hmm. In Europe, the church is still just about holding its own. Uh, in, in America, sorry, it's just about holding its own. South America, growing. Asia, growing. Africa, growing. Hmm. And so missionally, the fact, if you're listening to this in Europe, you are in the middle of the most urgent mission field on earth. Okay. As a citizen, as a speaker of one of the languages with the currency, culturally, financially, and all the rest of it, please, you've got to be pretty sure you're called to Africa, Latin America, or Asia or wherever, uh, because if you, if you don't know where you're called, you're called to Europe. Mm. And, um, so we've got to turn the tide in Europe. It's urgent. Oh. That's going to begin with prayer. So what am I encouraged by? Firstly, uh, in the UK, which is, I think a little bit of a thermostat often for Europe. A lot of my, uh, mainland European friends would say that to us. We saw that with the charismatic movement. We've seen it in a number of ways. In, uh, the UK, the church is now growing again. Now this is pre COVID. No one knows what's happening right now because who knows what's happened with COVID, but, but, but this is a story that just isn't getting out. I don't really know why. I think it's because Christians love bad news and hate good news. Like you say, isn't the church terrible? They go, I know. But if you say, did you know that the church has been year on year growing ahead of population in the UK, they go, can I just see your stats for that, please? <laughs> like, 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 yeah. This is true. Now, growing for years in London, uh, initially people said, oh, that's just because of the black majority churches. Uh, and then they found out it wasn't. Uh, and, and, and that's significant because it obviously is the capital. But now, now, not in the rural areas. We have a real crisis in the UK in the rural areas. But in major cities, we are now seeing churches growing. You see many traditions church planting now, and it's working. Vineyard are planting at a rate of knots. Hallelujah. The HTB Anglican Network yeah. planting at a rate of knots. Hallelujah. And so on. So, uh, that's, in, 
boy, is that encouraging. This is, this is a Simeon moment. We are holding the baby. We're starting to see the answer to our prayers in this nation. Um, add to that, the, the increase in prayer. You know, one piece of research that came out last year found out 3 million people turned to prayer through the COVID pandemic, 3 million. Mm. What that means is that our neighbors, our work colleagues mm. are realizing how short life is, how fragile life is, and that they can't really trust the things they thought they could trust. So they're asking you questions. Come on. Um, almost everyone that I know on Alpha right now, and Nikki Gumble says exactly this uh, thing as well is on it because of the pandemic. They either they've had time to do alpha that they didn't have before, or the pandemic is causing them to ask new questions about life and death and everything in between, or because things like alpha and church in general has moved online, they're suddenly managing to access it. My friend, Glenn Barrett, who leads audacious mm -hmm. church in Manchester said to me, I think he said, before people actually turn up at church, they tend to have attended online eight times, I think he said, before they actually come. And I think it's really exciting that churches have had to go on a crash course and then they had to stream what they do. Mm. You can't ultimately build church digitally. We're a sacramental incarnation. Yeah, yeah. You have to get together. But the streaming gives us possibilities of scaling the church for those who couldn't and wouldn't go to church. The couldn'ts are the, you know, they're sick, they're unwell. Dear God, we've got to reach those guys and care for them. But the wouldn'ts are the people who just don't go to church normally. And of course they all Google us. And then if they're going to come, they're going to come online before they're going to come in the flesh. So thank God that we've gone through this transition. So I'm sober. Uh, we have some real challenges. We'll have taken a big hit in COVID. A lot of people, maybe 10% of churchgoers will have stopped going through COVID. We've got some real challenges on our hands. But the growth in prayer, the increase in church planting, the stats we're seeing in the UK, uh, the new questions that the culture seems to be asking, for me, these are all encouraging signs. Amazing. Well, thank God for you and Sammy and your family and all that God's done with you, Pete, because... Well, you've encouraged me hugely today and thank you for all that you've done. But thanks for being with us, Pete. Rich, thanks for having me. God bless you. Hey, well, I loved that conversation and hopefully you loved it as well. Got some good stuff from it. Thank you so much for listening into these. For those that have reached out to encourage me, I'm drinking it in. And so feel free to reach out if it's helped you or pass this on to someone it could. I'm going to try dig around some more contacts and find some more people. Um, to try help build local church in Europe. And so loving doing these. Thanks for listening and see you on another one.